Matthew, we're both um, podcast virgins. <laughs> so this is a bit new for us. It's a bit delicate, isn't it? <laughs> I do feel quite awkward now. So yes. good. That's my intent from the off. Um, so why don't you just um, tell us a little bit about um, how we got Form 20 schemes. It's been five years now. You're yeah, the, so the co-director. I am. So a little, a little over five years. Is it? Um, 2012. So, um, see, Mez and I met, uh, I guess, over six years ago. You were in the US at an event, and you bailed on that event and went down to DC and met with uh, Deva. And so, am I allowed to say what the event is? Probably not. Um, and then. <laughs> He went down to DC and Mark Devitt introduced you to me. I was former intern at Capitol Hill, uh, originally from Aberdeen, Scotland. Always had a heart and a desire to come back and think about church planting in Scotland. So Mark connected us. We so well, I met your brother first, though, right? You did meet my brother. He's the better looking twin. My twin brother, um, who is as good looking as me. And so we are. Uh, we met and we chatted. So I came over here. <laughs> You tell the whole story about how we put my first encounter with Nidri. You can do what you like. Please, so, yeah. um, I remember I'm coming down here on a train from Aberdeen to come meet you. Never been to Nidri before. Um, and I am texting you on the train. Um, and you text me saying, hey, you're going to take me to play footy with the lads. Yes. And I am at that point thinking, what? I thought I was just coming to meet with a pastor to talk about ministry stuff. And he's like, no, no. So I thought you were joking with me. Then I got here and you... I go to your house and you give me a t-shirt to wear because uh, I was obviously dressed up to meet a pastor for coffee. I remember the t-shirt now, it's and one of my favourites. t-shirt said, I'm allergic to stupid people. And uh, you put me in the uh, the gym here and play football with a bunch of hooligans, lunatics. Well, to be fair, a lot of these boys are my pals. <laughs> and I said to them, there's a guy coming to play football and he's a bit cocky. He thinks he's all that. <laughs> and he thinks like Scottish football is just like the most inferior in the world. So I remember them all. And he turned up with a T-shirt looking at me. I said, oh, just do what you like to him, lads. <laughs> so I walk in and um, was slightly overcome by a little bit of fear and intimidation. But yeah, I held my own. Like, yeah, you did all right. Passed you, a couple you, of shots. You kissed the floor a few times. <laughs> you were good. And so uh, I think I uh, passed the initiation. And then I come in and when we go back to your um, house and we're sitting outside just talking about, um, at that point, you hadn't written the book, Church in Her Places. And oh, so... Just hearing about your story, the work here at Nidri, and and remember that book, Twenty Schemes wasn't even Twenty Schemes. Twenty Schemes didn't exist. It was Urban Impact. You had an idea called Urban Impact, which was I still love that name. A goal to plant churches, much like Nidri, or revitalise churches across the schemes of Scotland. I'm a pastor at a church in in a poor community, relatively poor community in small town rural America. Um, had, was looking for our church to have a partnership with a church in Scotland mm -hmm. with a desire to plant churches here. And so just hearing your vision, since there are three things that struck me about Nidri. One was uh, theologically we're on the same page and ecclesiologically. And there are few pastors in Scotland that I'd met that very quickly I realized that we were on the, on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, second was you were seeing growth by conversion growth, which was for me an unusual thing in Scotland to see a church growing through new converts. And then the, um, and the third thing was the desire to plant churches. I think that was five things. Well, there's three categories, three sub points. And so uh, the church planting desire, and again, you know, there's not a whole lot of church planting happening in Scotland. And there are not many churches that have a vision or a desire to plant. This changed, I think, um, the last five years or so. Yeah, um, there's definitely but, more churches planting and talking about planting now than when I moved here. What, 11 yep. years ago? Yep, so um, I'm definitely hearing more of, more guys with, with a vision and heart to plant churches would be great, but I think many churches didn't have the vision or perhaps the guts to even think about starting something beyond themselves. And yeah. so, so that, you know, I'd love for our church to partner with Nidri, and, um, and you said that what you needed was a long-term investment, a long-term partner that was going to commit. You'd had other partners before that come in, and it just seemed like it was very wishy-washy, there's no real sense of commitment. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, no, we're all in on this. So, um, and what you needed was was money and people. And so we created an infrastructure, which became 20 Schemes, to recruit people. But let's tell people support. how we got to 20 Schemes, because obviously I'm still bitter about, about Urban, Urban Impact, Impact, which was a beautifully <laughs> adequate name until we took it to um, 
we need to Capitol Hill. For we market. schmuck it, right? Yeah. For so nine marks weekender. You and the eldest and Nedry came to DC to do a weekender, um, which probably would have been in 2012. No, it came. definitely was, because this was, we were just trying to establish a new eldership. The old elders had gone. Yep. I said, listen, there was five of us. Let's go to DC, do this thing. Actually, yep. nine marks paid for us to go. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have afforded it. And then it was quite hilarious, the difference between... A29 and us, it's just like poles apart, but what we were listening to ecclesiologically, um, we go and have a beer afterwards yeah, and then talk about it. Yeah, so we would, um, remember you and I spent some time doing that weekend because I flew in to meet with you and your elders, Yeah, just strategizing and planning and just kind of casting some vision. For, for Urban this, Impact. For this thing that you were determined urban to call impact. Urban Impact. Um, it's a beautiful name. Uh, urban Impact Missions, I think it was, UIM. So, um, no, it wasn't Missions. Well, I think we were trying to add that. And so wouldn't have added it. So I then we pitch. We we go to Matt Schmucker, who is um, a good friend of mine. He is um, on the staff. international puppet master yeah. of Nine Marks. <laughs> well, he was at that point. Now he's with um, the international puppet master of T4G, T4G and, and Crosscon, Crosscon, and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we go and uh, just share our vision with him, and just for him to kind of give us some insights and. Uh, our first tagline at that point was, um, our goal was to plant um, plant or revitalize 20 gospel preaching churches in the schemes of Scotland. So how do you um, remember all this? Well, I remember it was called Urban Impact. <laughs> and I also remember what he said, Matt Schmucker, which basically the name sucks. That is what he said. He said, urban can mean a bunch of things, impact means nothing, and so your name means nothing. And so... <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's what he said. So I, so we, we wrote on the... Uh, he had a... a uh, chalkboard, blackboard in his kitchen, randomly, and we wrote up on there. Um, Can't say blackboard, that's not political. <laughs> so we wrote up on there. On the um, board? On the board, board, on the chalkboard, 20, uh, 20 schemes. We want to identify 20 schemes in Scotland, and he said, that's your name, 20 schemes. It clearly defines who you are and what you But it wasn't acceptable, was it? Because I hated it. You did hate it? And uh, my elders hated it. They, there was several things they didn't like. Yeah. Um, so Only they, you and Matt liked it. Yes, because we were the two brains of the operation. And then, um, so he said, 20 schemes. So it clearly defines what you're about. Uh, it's got your, your vision is in there, your goal is in there. And then schemes, it begs the question, what is a scheme? And so wherever I go to talk about 20 schemes, people ask, what is a scheme? And that gives us an opportunity immediately to tell the story. Yeah, but we had a massive debate about the word scheme. Remember this, because mm -hmm. scheme can mean something a bit dodge. Yeah, in the US. Yeah. yeah. And well, so, here as well, right? Dodgy scheme. So. Very, oh, yeah, so people, it, it raises often some negative connotations. So how did you win me over? Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. It must have been a weak moment. Did we you? have an arm wrestle? I think we had an arm wrestle. <laughs> no, that was another time. Oh, yeah, that was another time. <laughs> that was in Florida. You were topless <laughs> then, weren't you? Yes, we don't go into that. Okay. Um, and then, so we... Uh, and then we go and meet with your elders because they had two issues with it. One was just the name 20 schemes, yeah. but also um, the word poor. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So I we said that. gospel churches of Scotland's poorest would be our tagline. And we really debated about using the word poor because it could be seen as derogatory yeah. um, or even offensive. To and actually, we've schemes. had problems with that we word have, over yeah. the years. But then I think we've written a couple of blogs on the 20 schemes site about what we mean by the word poor is yeah. not necessarily... Yep. Materially, actually, what we mean by the word poor is spiritual. Not only is there spiritual poverty in our communities, people are not Christians, but they have little access or poor access to any gospel preaching church. I remember yep. this, that was a huge debate. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, that, that really, that weekend in, in 2012 was after that's when we started building this yep. ministry that from that point on became 20 schemes. And we had 50 quid in the bank. We did, and we were excited about it. Um, Hang on a minute, we're being flapped at. What's <laughs> what, what are the flappers slapping at? <laughs> Do we carry on? Okay, there was flapping. Um, there was this. <laughs> we got a donation and... Um, Do you know, what I like about our relationship is I just try and put you off and you just soldier on through. On. Yeah, good lad, go on, carry on. Steely determination to ignore you, that's what I've spent the last five <laughs> years doing. So would that be one of the big lessons you've learned in the last five yeah. years? Just ignore me. So we've become much more prof professional at that. Okay, good. And so, um, as my wife has as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so two of us, I mean, we we had pastored a church, we were church planters. So I think because we were both church planters, we had a certain um, uh, uh, desire just to go out there and we didn't really, um, 
weren't really held back by a sense of fear, just waiting for things to fall in place first? We just, just no, here's what I remember early days when we, we sold it to our, our elders, because obviously it's a partnership between two churches, it's not separate yeah. from our churches, and, and both our elders oversee in, 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 in some capacity. And I remember um, thinking, yes. I'm excited. I've been thinking about this for 10 years, yeah. long before, you know, when I came back from Brazil, like it was in my mind, but I just, you know, I'd not said anything about it. I just kept it on the back burner. Um, and then, I, you know, we're in America, we're excited, we're strategizing, we're thinking about it. Get back to Scotland, you know, tell people about it. And it was like, yeah, what? Yeah. What are you going to do that for? <laughs> That's not even going to work. You've got a church of 50 members and... Yeah in a scheme and it was just the complete and total opposite of like the American, yes, let's yeah. do this, go yeah. on brother. Go for it. And Scottish people were like, it'll never work, yeah. you're an idiot. Yeah, what are you thinking? Who do you think you are? And it was very deflating. Yeah. Um, I also remember the first time, um, I can't remember when it was, we were, I think we were messaging one another and f we got our first 500 quid yes. offering yeah. to start the whole thing off. Yeah, I was at an event at uh, seminary. I remember the phone call. You called me. I was at, at a southeastern seminary doing a, an event on campus there, and you had called me and said, "We just got a five hundred pound donation." And I was like, "All that?" Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first. And I, I was like, "Going to give us five hundred pounds?" I know. And then it went, it went on from there. I remember when we got, um, I went to meet with a guy. So to, then I think we paid five hundred pounds for our first website. Did we? Yeah. Did we? Yeah, I think that's what we did with it. Wow. <laughs> And then we just, uh, I mean, people often ask me the question, I know we're going all over the place here, but um, where's all our money come from? Everybody thinks I'm backed right, by American some, millionaire. Some major right? donor that's funding this or some... Yeah. Well, there is a major some, donor. There are a lot of donors. Yeah, but there's, or there is some, some source from, like some ministry in the US that was bankrolling this. Everybody thinks nine marks bankrolls yep. us. And when I tell Mark Deva this, he laughs. <laughs> uh, because I think actually we support nine marks. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark's been very good to us in many yeah. ways, but they're, they're not a financial contributor to rate schemes in their way. So You can say that, but I can tell you now, everyone's, everyone, whoever's listening to this is going, yeah, they yeah. are, they must be. Yeah. So what's our, one of the things that's um, given us great sort of, like they've really helped promote us Nine Marks. How is that, just to explain to people who don't understand or even know what Nine Marks is, how that how that whole relationship's come about. Because when I look back and people ask me, how did you do it? I'm like, well, yeah. I didn't strategize nine yeah. marks getting behind us because yeah. I didn't really know much about them yeah. at that point. So nine marks obviously is a ministry um, that's committed to um, encouraging, equipping and supporting pastors um, that have a particular desire to see healthy churches. Um, and what Mark Dever does really brilliantly is he invests in men and he develops those relationships, those friendships. He's a pastor to pastors and he had that Kind of pastoral but he's got a giant head, hasn't he? <laughs> he had that kind of relationship with both of us. Come on, tell the truth. Come on, so, come on. Mark, Mark will listen. He'll love it. He's he, got a giant noggin, hasn't he? He does have a brilliant brain. But he has got grateful a, for his brain. He has got a he, hasn't <laughs> he? So we met with... So Look, seriously. <laughs> sometimes I think about that. Is that a strange thing? Yes. So when we... You, um, um, so Mark um, was committed to um, Mark, what you gosh. were doing here. And um, I did my internship at Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill Baptist was the church that sponsored my church plant. Um, uh, actually, I stayed at Matt Schmucker's house, so I had a... Was a, his head big when you started, as you've grown <laughs> over the years? It's, it's now less disproportionately to the rest of his body. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so... You fat shame, Mark Dever. I like it. Oh, okay. Um, so then, um, so I think Mark just... He just wanted to get behind you and I. I think he just supported in yeah, the work that we were doing. I love and, Mark. And really, year one for us was all about um, people that we knew and people who knew us endorsing this vision. If you look back at the videos we put out new in the yeah, first year, yeah. it was um, sharing the vision of Thibiti, Alistair Begg, um, um, Mark Deber. Um, there were several people that recorded. Then we had Chandler, I think we had. Kevin yeah, Chandler, Young, Steve Timmons, yeah, yeah. Kevin DeYoung. And first, it was all about other well-trusted people that we trusted and who trusted us saying, yes, we believe in this, we care about this. Tim Challies. Tim Challies came over and yeah. um, uh, did one of our very first vision trips and wrote a blog about it. And I think that, year, year one and two, devoting our time to developing those kind of relationships who would be, give us a platform was 
was really key for us getting trust and respect from ministries very quickly. And so... In the States, here's the issue, yes, in, in the, the States. States, in the UK, maybe less so now in recent years, but the only person who ever really backed me from the beginning was Steve Timmis, right. I would say. Everybody else was just like... Just sceptical. Who is this yep. guy? The reform guys were like, well, he can't be reformed <laughs> if, you know, there must be some sort of dodgy pragmatism going on. Charismatic guys like yep. me because I'm a reformed guy. And then you've got the whole liberal wing of the church who yep. just is frustrated with us. Thinks you're anti-women and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, for, I mean, you know, we can go and, everyone knows our name at T4G, yep. but if I went down to England and did a little conference, yep. Yep. it'd be very, you know, highly unlikely that most people would know who we are. Yeah. So I, that's still a little frustration of mine. But yeah, yeah. You know, it's, we see that changing. Um, I think. You think it is changing? Well, I think because now we see we've got churches planted, we've got people on the ground, there's things yeah, happening, yeah. Um, that there are some, some individual churches in the UK that are getting alongside and developing. Why do you think... Slow. Why do you think UK churches, theologically conservative, solid UK churches, and um, with a big view of God and the sovereignty of God, right? Yeah. Are so different to their US counterparts yeah. when it comes to stuff like this. The US counterparts, the yes brother, and the UK are like, hmm, <laughs> I don't think so. Who do you think you are? Because what, what, what? You're, you're a British guy. Yeah. Yeah. Cross both cultures. Yeah. So... Explain to me, because I find it fascinating that people with a big view of the sovereignty of God, I often find have got the smallest visions, and I don't understand. I do think in, in the UK and British culture, there is, there's a need to kind of earn something. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to kind of grow over time and establish, yourself, establish a degree of respectability amongst people. Um, and so you see that people will honour and respect um, those that have kind of grown up and been established, gone through the right channels. Um, so here's my question. Do you think the issue is, it's because I don't come from the status quo? Yeah, it's, um, so some would call it, you know, the boys club or, you know, being the, you, I mean, there are, there is a bit of it. You don't play through the established institutions um, around. So you're a bit of a outlier um, in terms of doing your own thing and, um, and developing relationships and connections. That's not necessarily intentional on your part because you've been shut out of some of those institutions yeah. um, and organizations. So there is a bit where here is about who you know. Um, it's not so much about the idea or the vision. But America is about who you know. We didn't know Mark Dever, we wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, uh, to a degree that's true, but I think it also is about um, just get there and do something, just prove yourself, just do it, just go for it. I think people want to get behind. So people, uh, people I work with in the States, some churches, pastors, ministries, they get behind an idea, a vision, a dream. They're dreamers. Um, and when you say that here, that they just they yeah. stop talking yeah. nonsense. So I can cast a vision. Up. I can cast a vision and a story and tell a story to um, many pastors or ministries in the US, and they don't need to do anything else. They're like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Whereas um, in the UK, we have very, very few yeah, you got churches. It's interesting. See, even the way that we started telling the story of Twenty Schemes at the beginning is very different. So you would tell the story of Twenty Schemes. From I think more of a, a British worldview, which is sharing stats, um, you know, statistics, and figures, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and that's very important here. You've got to be able to provide that kind of data, um, and to be able to prove the effect of something. Um, whereas, when when I was trying to share the story at events or churches in the U.S. or Canada, it's much more about telling stories, and they don't really care about the stats or the figures or. And being a sort of smiley guy helps with good teeth, right? Whereas I just look like I want to smash your face in on camera, you which is just my concentrating face. <laughs> you let everybody know that's true, right? Yes. I'm, an, I'm a nice guy. You do generally like people. No, that's not true, okay, but true. I generally like some people. Yeah. But I remember our early but, attempts... But you'll at, tell people you don't like them, if you don't like them. Yeah, because yeah. this is culture, right? Because you'll tell people you don't like, you like them. <laughs> I, will, I do tend to prefer to be polite when I'm talking so, to people. I, so you, you lie? I do, I do, I have been taught so, um, that the Holy Spirit so produces within us a desire to encourage and edify and build up. Yeah, others. also, what, how do you, where do you put truth with that then? <laughs> because if you'd have taken that position to um, the minor prophets, 
Amos wouldn't have been hanging around at your house having a cup of brew, would he? Because he would have been calling your mother-in-law a fat cow, <laughs> wouldn't he? You have that self a fatty and give to the poor. Yes. What would you have said at that point to Amos? <laughs> so I think obviously it takes all kinds to... <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going with this? I think just now lost my train of thought completely. So you just went around offending people and I just went No, no, I didn't and... offend people. This is interesting. We went to America the first 12 months. You, I remember you used to come around and you used to like... <laughs> shaken. Okay. I have to clarify everything I said because I didn't really understand <laughs> culturally what was going on. I would stand on. at the back of the room while you're talking and just see the other people in the room going like, what? Like, just you kind of stepped into every every kind of cultural misstep and that you could un unintentionally. Yeah, and it wasn't like of intellect. Cause I, no. I, I, listen, I have a degree in missiology. Yeah. It's like the cultural, but the, the whole concept of being asked a question, the, yeah. I think this is true in Christian circles and not telling the truth <laughs> yeah. is accepted by, I think, educated middle-class people as somehow being godly. Right. Yes. True. Well, you'd like to put your spin back so, on it. just. To... I remember there were times that you would chair at a church and somebody would ask a question and you would just say, it's a dumb question. No, I don't, no, I don't think I said that. <laughs> so, no, you'd say, I don't get it. I don't understand your question. And then you just kind of move on. <laughs> Which is fair, right? Often I thought, let me take that point. Often you go to questions and Christian-y conference-y things. <laughs> Some guy stands up, or lady, gives a diatribe for 10 minutes, makes a political statement and sits down. Is that not, is that a question? <laughs> it's true too. They are looking to make a point. And... and so I'm just saying, it's not a question. What's your point? <laughs> Whereas you go, oh, that, oh, that's very good. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad yeah. you felt. I don't appreciate them sharing, it. sharing Ask it. Ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> Ask a question. Or shut up, mate. Do you know what I mean? I've got things to do. <laughs> so, so this is why this works. So we're able, we're able to continue to make friends everywhere we go because there are many people that actually find what you're doing really refreshing. No, but listen to me. Remember, we had serious issues. I yeah. remember we sat down yeah. and I took you out and yeah. I said, "Listen to me. I'm going to pull the plug on this." Yeah, year one was. Pretty intense because you it just that uh, you it wasn't okay. I don't think you were getting us. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we were getting you. Yeah, and you felt like we hated you. Yeah, we're thinking <laughs> we love this dude. We're encouraging him. <laughs> I you, sound really needy. You, you are right. I mean, and generally as a rule, Americans are needy, aren't they? I'm not American. Not oh, so you're not American. <laughs> that that's. Now that's not, that's now on um, camera or whatever it's on <laughs> podcasty thing. Um, so yeah, so year one, year two, it was it was a struggle because we do communicate differently. I think that's that's also a middle class, working class thing as much as it is a British American thing. Um, so, uh, but it's also because you love Thatcher. Do you have great admiration and respect for Margaret Thatcher, which again is. I'd like to apologise to our why I one listener in, that uh, this is <laughs> terrible. I hate yeah, it. It's just why I believe that it's our God given responsibility to help people help themselves, as the Holy Spirit empowers them to do so. But um, we don't help people to help themselves by taking children's milk, do we? <laughs> and closing down mines. You said, I, you, I said I wouldn't go here, didn't I? If that's what it takes to uh, awaken a dying economy. Yeah, and that's to... done a great job, hasn't it? <laughs> anyway, so we were talking about communication. And so year one, um, uh, so yeah, so I was not used to perhaps the directness or the, so I would spend a lot of time working on an, an email or something or an article or even like, you know, some, designing a website or something. Really spent a lot of time making sure everything was 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 wonderful and perfect and and then I would sub send it to you and you would just say that's crap with no no, no helpful comments nothing I don't no. think that's true <laughs> let me put for my the, spin on it for the sake of the podcast obviously we can't go into all the details but I think that's exactly what you said no I would say that's crap but but you have to qualify <laughs> that you asked for my opinion it's true I did ask for your opinion thing. And I would expect when I asked someone of their opinion that they would at least acknowledge the um, the uh, elements that you appreciated. I don't remember at the time, but early days, I, didn't, I don't think I appreciated very much. <laughs> it was like pictures of fluffy bunnies, wasn't it? Do you remember like, <laughs> I remember we had some design, it was pictures of fluffy bunnies and <laughs> rolling hills and crap like, like that. This poor person just did so much work on yeah, this. But, and here's the point. 
We get asked an opinion about something, yeah. you give it straight, but you guys take that as a personal attack on your character. That's what it was. And, and that's one thing I've really learned. That's where I think I've grown um, over the past five years is that um, in many ways, we feel, many people from a middle class background feel valued by what they do, not who they are. Yeah. And what we do, what we present, what we produce, what we create. So if you go into a, a middle class church, the first thing you ask is, what's your name and what do you do? Yeah. And you make an assessment about that person based on what they do. In a working class community, you ask, you know, where do you live? You know, where are you from? Where did you grow up? It's the story, it's the, it's the person yeah, yeah, yeah. that's more valuable and more important. And, and so, so I've learned over time to really grow to appreciate and accept that, that that's, that's a good thing, it's something that's But I've learned, learned from to culture. say, look, I like your hair, you've got great <laughs> teeth, um, you know, you're a wonderful person, it's crap. Sincerely, Mez. Yes. So we're learning, right? Yes. I think we have, we've come a long way. <laughs> we're pals. Yes. And so, so year one was really about miscommunicating with each other. I'm, I'm hearing things you're not saying, you're hearing things I'm yeah, not saying. Yeah, I remember saying. we sat there, sat down meeting because I'm thinking, this guy hates us. People will be coming over going, oh, Matthew wonders about you and um, that you're really mean and stuff like that. And we're like, I thought we're thinking we're doing amazing hospitality and being really chill with people. And then, and then we had this meeting. I remember we had this meeting. I yep. remember it was in an airport somewhere. Yeah, Phoenix, we're at a restaurant. You remember these things. But, um, <laughs> and I said, listen, this isn't happening. This isn't working yep. for me, this whole yep. scenario. But then we, I can't remember what we did. We, we talked about it, we prayed about it. Yeah. And then it was, we were cool from then on. Yeah. Right? And I think it was a big part of it. I think a big part of it was us both accepting we're, we're committed to this. We're both in this, that we, we value what we're, what we're about and what we're doing. Do you think, right? I think about this a lot. Do you think this is one of the reasons why sort of more affluent sort of middle-class evangelical churches, particularly in the UK, and it's true in America, I know, mm, yep. um, struggle to really get a grip into our communities? I know there's lots of reasons, but do you think this whole issue of we look angry and yeah, yeah. aggressive there's and you guys seem like yeah. lying and fluffy? <laughs> so, I mean, they're... There is a sense where people are intimidated about at least the idea of certain communities or certain yeah. people, and, and often that's a stereotype or something that they've perceived, um, and so and that goes both ways. And so, um, uh, so there, so I mean, even in my own town that I'm doing ministry in, so my church tends to be a what we call a blue collar kind of um, yeah, yeah. working class, poor rural community. But the guys in my church would never walk into the, the kind of the, the middle class suburban church in our town because they already feel like outsiders. Yeah. So we try to do things together with the other church. I can't get guys in my church to go because they feel like they're going to get looked down on. They don't feel accepted. They don't have an education. Some of them um, can't read. They're, they're not professionals. The way they do, they're embarrassed by their job or their trade. Um, and I think the same goes both ways that those in the other suburban middle class church will look at people in our church for like, I just don't know if I can be in common with them, if we can talk about anything, if we can relate. Um, but one thing I love, even about 20 schemes, coming to Nidri, is that you see people from different cultural backgrounds worshipping side by side. And, um, and that's really the 20 schemes, so even our own staff team. Mm -hmm. You've got people from different cultural backgrounds yeah. who are working side by side, who have grown to respect and love uh, one another and really appreciate each other's culture, um, while at the same time mocking it. Oh, mocking is a very... Large part of our culture. It is. So, so it's been good. I think we've learned a lot. Um, and that's so, so the, the team that we're building, some of our church plant teams that we're sending out are going to be what we call cross mix, mixed cultures, cross cultures. Yeah. So, we would talk about cultural outsiders, cultural insiders. Um, it's interesting. I've been following the whole thing in the States, obviously, about race and mm -hmm. multi ethnicity and diversity. And when they say diversity, they then really mean black, white, black, white. Yeah. Whereas when we talk about diversity here, because we're a largely white community, but um, we talk about class diversity yep. more than we talk about race diversity. Yeah, so that's social economic. Because interestingly, this isn't, I mean, this is a generalization, mm -hmm. but, um, and Tim Keller was here recently and mentioned something about this, but even where you have um, blacks in, and, and Asians or whatever, mm -hmm. different ethnicities in yep. UK churches, they will still tend to be more highly educated yep. professionals yep. rather than guys from yep. council estates yep. or poorer communities. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the, for the most part, the, there is a 
divide even in the church in the US around social economics that I think those from a certain social economic background feel at home in a church where those from a lower social economic background even the institutions of the church yeah. seminaries bible colleges mission agencies yeah. they always feel on the outside on the margins and so one of the criticisms about I I I don't get so much more but I used to get trying to educate people is um why are you um perpetuating the divide by planting mm-hmm. poor churches and you perpetuating the divide and i think people misunderstand the tagline we were 20 yeah. gospel churches yeah. in uh, our poorest communities so as you already said in my church i've yeah. got guys who work in the city with guys who've never had a job etc yeah. etc et and so we're looking for um uh, our churches to be um just a, a, a whole swathe of different people coming together um, to worship under Jesus Christ. And the second thing I say to people is, I don't, I'm not perpetuating the divide. I'm merely telling you, right. explaining to you something that clearly Acknowledging already yeah. exists. Yep. But people are still very, yeah. a lot of people are very, they'd like to push back against this whole thing that there's, mm-hmm. a, that, that, that there's a divide. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's even true in, in, in the States. It's not just true here. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's very clear here, but it's, there is a sense where people don't want to acknowledge it, they want to recognize it. They're just blind. It's just a blind spot that people have to the existence of it. So we'd say that everybody, everybody's born with the same opportunities. So you know, every you know, it's there's, there's equal opportunities. And so well, that, that assumes everybody was born from the same starting place. Mm-hmm. And so you may have the same same opportunity to get to the end point, but some people start much closer to the goal mm-hmm. in terms of where they were born, which community they're in, what mm-hmm. school they go to. Um, other people got so much further behind just by virtue of who but we can't blame are. people for that right we can't blame people just because some geezer got a better opportunity than no i got we can't blame people no no but it is it's just recognizing that that we're then we're not all the same place there is a divide just by where you're born who your parents are um there, there is people start at different starting points in life um and so so yeah. how does the gospel overcome that then and the gospel comes out because all everybody starts as a sinner. So in that sense, everybody's born from the same starting point. We're all sinners, all broken, all bankrupt before holy God. And the gospel speaks into the bankruptcy of everybody's soul. Now, whether you're born in some manor house in a posh community in England or a scheme in Scotland, we all are born bankrupt before holy God. And it's the gospel that draws us um, into community with each other. So, I mean, we obviously talked a lot about 20 schemes 20 schemes is our baby we've 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 set that up and just recently in january we've launched a new initiative called church in hard places which is obviously off the back of my book with mike Mm -hmm. mckinley church in hard places um and so i think a lot of people are asking the question well is 20 schemes and church in hard places are they the same thing thing. or are they different yeah what's going on yeah, so no, two separate things. Church in Hell Places <coughs> is a ministry of Acts 29, which is a church planting ministry, uh, uh, global um, church planting movement. 20 Schemes is not a global church plant ministry. We are committed to planting gospel preaching churches in the schemes of Scotland. And we want to protect that. And so, but with the book coming out, with the workshops we were doing, with the events that um, you were speaking out, increasingly more and more people will come into us asking, for us to help them or to train them or to equip or resource them as they were doing ministry. So 20 Schemes was becoming this kind of resource ministry with the, the resources we were publishing, with the blog posts we were putting out. And it could, I think, if it kept going that way, if it eclipsed the kind of focus on yeah. our work in Scotland. So we were keen yeah. for that not to happen. At the same time, Acts 29, um, under Steve Timmis, Matt Chandler, they, as an organization, were keen to become more glo- global, more diverse. And I think they had a goal both to be ethnically, racially, but also culturally diverse as a network of churches. And so it was through conversation with Steve Timmis and yourself that we realized that actually for us, we, we this would be really good for us to embed some of the resources and the training and the relationships that we have into the structure of Acts 29. Acts 29, they were excited and, and pleased to work with us because they wanted and recognize their desire, their goal to see healthy churches planted in poor communities around the world. And so that's when we launched uh, the Church in Her Places initiative of Acts 29, which is um, one of their uh, focus initiatives to equip church 
church planting in particular regions or particular and it's, peoples. They, they call it collaborative, right? Yeah, they call it collaborative. Um, Why? Uh, I guess because it's people collaborating together on on, on work. Um, it is. This is specifically called an initiative of X29. So it's a department within. So it's X29. not a network. It's not a network. It's not a network within a network. X29 is a family of churches um, that has regional networks um, of churches, but we are a department within X29, which is great. X29 is really got behind it, um, both in terms of funding, but also people and their staff and their regional networks. I think there's a genuine desire within X29 to see healthy churches planted in poor communities, slums, favelas, townships. Um, and yeah. I mean, we use this to help develop that. I think one of the things, early days, for me that was a surprise when 20 schemes took off. It was like, and um, I think it was, somebody was telling me about our online figures and how many thousands of people a week or whatever were reading our stuff or whatever. And um, I was just amazed that people from Australia, yeah. China, and yep. Africa and Latin, Latin America, yeah. like were reading our stuff. I'm like, what? We didn't start off yep. with that. I just want to focus on Scotland. I'm concerned about Scotland. And guys would say, oh, come and do 20 schemes Brazil. And I'm like, praise the Lord. But yeah. I don't have the time to do that. And I think that's sort of what birthed the idea, right? Yeah. Um, and we could have started Church in Her Places independent right. of Acts 29, but actually, um, Act 29 has gone through its own changes, isn't it, hasn't it, in yeah. the last few years? Because there yeah. was a lot of suspicion here yeah. in, yeah. Um, in our theological circles yeah. about Acts 29. Um, I think there probably still is some um, suspicion um, about them. And we, um, we, um, when we first talked about, mm -hmm. in the early discussions with yeah. them, about Will this hurt? Will this harm us if we are associated? Will it hurt twenty? Yeah. Will it hurt twenty schemes? Just, I, I can't remember. How do we sort of get around that? Well, if I we think, have got around that. Yeah, I, I think there's two things. One for, for you and I, um, we both are X twenty nine church planters because we believe in church planting and and uh, Nidri's in X twenty nine in yeah. X twenty nine. What's that called? Church member. Okay. Yep. I want to say so, network, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> Nidri's a member. So each. So because we believe in church planting and there is no, we don't know of any other more strategic church planting network that is where we're at theologically, um, yeah. that has the scope and the resources and the impact um, and the robustness in terms of its assessment and its training that X-29 does. And so we were keen to work with X-29 for that reason. Um, but most of the people that we're talking to globally have never heard of X-29. That's right. And so there was no issue them so we're introducing them to x29 yeah. we're bringing them we're giving them a access point into x29 yeah. introducing them to to that family of churches which is very positive and um and to be fair eight or nine have really got behind this right right um they've you know i mean i i'm sick in the in the uk now i mean it makes my nipples itch this it's like guys are just talking about poverty and this and that and let's think about it let's talk about it let's hold a forum about it we've gone on for years now yeah. and they're the ones who slap some money down on the table. And I mean, we had a series of long meetings, didn't we? Yep. With Steve and his team and um, thrashed it out. And um, they've really backed it. And so, um, I mean, just along with Doug Logan, who's yep. the co-director with us, um, just, I mean, how fast has it grown in terms of yeah, so we uh, how we do things in terms of the apprenticeship. Yeah, so we initially launched in January, Church and Her Places. Um, it's on X29 website, churchandherplaces.com. We put out a video out there. Since then, there's about 160 church leaders that we are regularly meeting with um, to to mentor and to equip from a distance from all over the world. Uh, we have clusters of guys in um, uh, just about every time zone that are regularly. Um, you're talking to, you're chatting with, you're investing how, in... How am I doing that? So I'm not doing it personally. Right? No, you're doing it through video chat. Um, Zoom. Zoom calls. And so these guys, are um, uh, they all have questions. So well, one thing we said is, you know, for those who do ministry in slums, favelas, and poor areas around the world, um, the best people for them to learn from about ministry in those communities are other guys doing ministry in the same community. Exactly. So let's, let's bring them together. Let's create a platform where they can talk to each other, encourage each other, and equip one another. And so that's... That's what uh, a big part of Church Town Place is about. 
then we do our own workshops and our training. Um, we do church in our places workshops. Um, you know, one we did in, in Buenos Aires, we had 6,000 people following it live from all over the Spanish-speaking world yeah. on live stream. Mental, right? And then the, um, the, the resources we're putting out, um, the books, the training tools, the discipleship tools. Um, and then the final part of, of Church No Places, which I think is the most strategic part, is the apprenticeship. So most um, men who are doing ministry in poor communities are really one step removed from heresy in many ways because the only people going into poor communities to provide any kind of resource or training tend to be the prosperity gospel guys, um, the people, as you would call them, the theological whack jobs out there who would come into those communities kind of prey on the poor. When we come in and do a workshop, um, then these men are listening to us and saying, I want to be taught like that because they do love the Bible. Um, and so we yeah. get alongside those guys. They're not ready yet to join an organization like x 9 because they're nowhere theologically, but they've got a heart of an evangelist. They've already seen fruit in their ministry and they're indigenous to the community that they're in. And so we want to be able to train them without having to remove them from their community. If you remove them from their community, they're never going to go back to minister to that community. So the apprenticeship model is when we send them a book a month, um, they write an essay, a paper each month, you have a monthly mentoring video chat with them, and then we bring all of our apprentices together for one week a year um, to do more intensive training with them. So it's a two-year apprenticeship. At the end of that two years, then we believe they'll, most of them will be ready and able to then join the X-29 um, network. So then it then embeds these guys into a solid, robust family of churches that I think keeps them um, sound and will keep them strong. Yeah, and one of the things we did, and it's, it, one of the things that frustrate me with Acts 29 is this whole, they've got this um, very robust application process, right. which makes a lot of cultural assumptions, not yeah. least of which that you're a theological, yeah. you know, you have some theological aptitude, which isn't, these aren't wrong things, right. um, and um, that you have a particular level of education, yeah. etc., to even get through it. So all these guys ordinarily would fail, right? Yep. Yep. Their assessment, just, just on that really. And whereas what we're trying to do is we've made, we've broken that application process down right. over two years. We've made the application the apprenticeship. So we exactly. they learn, which is how, again, in poor communities, any, any poor community, people learn through apprenticeship. Yep. Um, so it's not through going to a four-year college degree and, yep, and getting exactly. They learn through apprenticeship, which is the New Testament model yep. um, of learning through apprenticeship. And so these guys that we're, we're training are learning through yep. apprenticeship. And it is pretty amazing. The guy who was from Liberia, mm -hmm. the boy, who cycled to the next village to get internet access yep. so he could get on the Still online it. calls. Yep. The guy in Malawi who said, wow, when he read what is the gospel, yep. had to repent. He said, I've not been teaching my people. He had a church yep. of about 300 people. Yep. He said, I've not been teaching them the gospel. Yep. And he starts now teaching yeah, well, them the I mean, gospel. Again, so you call it um, digging for, for gold in the, yeah. um, in, in the dirt. You've got to get yourself messy. You've got to be prepared to get messy. Um, as you kind of, but then you find nuggets of gold. In the, so we're working with men that many organizations would be really kind of afraid to work with. Um, just oh, yeah, they're fruitcakes and things, theologically. But they are where they are because nobody else is talking exactly, to them. Exactly. And so we want to get alongside them. And these guys are teachable. They, they, and they eat it up, everything we pour into them, which is why they've eaten up the things that ha the food that has been given to them, which has been junk food, poison. Yeah. And so they're going to eat up truth as we come alongside them. And so that's the goal. That's our prayer. And so we have 24 um, places, 24 apprentices a year at the moment looking to uh, reproduce that in different language groups yeah. um, globally. And so, um, so, so what's the connection problem. between 20 schemes and church in our places? Is there a connection? The connection is you and I. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no formal connection. There's no um, formal. The 20 schemes is a resource to church in our places. It, it's, yeah. um, and so the connection is, is that you and I are, are in leadership in both organizations. And I just say to people, 20 schemes is for Scot is, is Scotland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and our church in our places is, is international, isn't it? Yep. That we're looking at. And also, it's a, it is a ministry of, mm -hmm. of Acts 29. 29. Yeah, yep. and, and very much so. In, um, and that's what we love about the, the network, the leadership of Acts 29 has really got on board with this and are excited about it. And, yeah. and we're really grateful for the enthusiasm they have. Just wrapping up then. We've been doing this. This is coming into our sixth year. I think I wrote a blog a while ago about what I learned. I can't remember what mm -hmm. I've said now. Um, but... What, what are some of the things you think we've discovered um, and learned in the last five and a half years as we've tried to do this? We've got, what, six sites in five cities? Yep. Maybe seven, including this church. Yep. Um, and more planters and interns joining us every year. 
Mm -hmm. We employ now over 50 people. Yeah, full-time either in training or yeah, in yeah. placements. Um, we're just about to start our own vocational theological training at school. Yet to be decided on the name. Yep. Um, but uh, so what are some of the lessons you think we've, we've, we've learned? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's in many ways the the strategy that we started off with is still the strategy that we we ended up with today. Um, but I think the elements of it may be different. So um, uh, it's just it's slow. It's hard work. I don't know if we've learned that, but at least we've acknowledged that the uh, training developing. I think one thing that I've learned is that um, and you probably already knew this going in. But just because somebody calls themselves a church planter or has a desire to plant a church doesn't yeah. equip them for ministry yeah. in this context. There's a particular kind of person um, that can do, that can thrive and survive and do ministry well in, in a scheme context. What kind of person then for people listening? Yeah, I think there's um, uh, somebody, so sharing this with somebody else. So if we're talking about a cultural outsider, somebody who's coming into this culture mm -hmm. that has desires to come in and make a, um, a move to an, mm -hmm. another nation to do, be a missionary, it's somebody at the heart of a missionary that has a desire to be an evangelist to an unreached people um, that really is driven by evangelism and disciple-making and one-to-one, um, not just looking for a preaching post or a preaching point or writing out nice, neat little plans and five-year goals or whatever, but actually somebody who's got a heart of a, a missionary evangelist, but somebody who is humble and teachable and ready to accept the culture they're moving to and not thinking their goal is to kind of redeem the culture. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and, and that's a that's a unique kind of individual and it's so the kind of person I think would thrive well in church planting here is the same person that I would that would have a heart to go to unreached people in, in a hard place mm -hmm. um, in Middle East or um, Asia that's just going to go in kind of learn the culture spend a little while there um, adapting to the culture and respecting the people the community they're in and then through developing relationships and contacts they see people come to faith and they disciple indigenous leaders and they um, but it's counterintuitive because people think doing ministry in the West or in a, um, an area in the West that it's going to look like doing church planting in what they're used to in kind of a North American or a Western context, which is I'm going to gather a crowd, I'm going to um, build a you know a support team, build a core team, have a launch. And but church planting here is very different um, in that sense. It's much, it takes much more time. You've got to be much more persistent um, in doing it. And, so the kind of applicant that we attract, though, tends not to be the missionary-hearted guy. It tends to be the one who's at a seminary that is thinking about pastoring or planting a church for long term. And so we've just had a, I think it's been harder for us to recruit church planters, at least from out with um, the context of your Because all our church planters are UK, right? The people you've developed, that you've yeah, trained, that yeah. have come through, through here. And that's great, but we are swimming in the shallow end of the pool. And so in terms of the, the number of people that we have available, yeah. we've kind of exhausted, I think, um, the, the, the people that we would be connected to in the UK that could potentially be leading church planting. Yeah, yeah. And we know that if we're going to plant 20 churches, um, and, and that's just or a revitalize. Point, or revitalize, and see those churches plant and revitalize churches beyond that. So what's the difference between, so I've got a couple of guys coming on board now. One of them I'm thinking, I'm not sure you've got the, 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 the sticks to... Mm -hmm. to plant a church, but you could be a really good revitalizer. What, what's the difference in your mind? I mean, well, let's take for granted, you know, God, the godly character qualifications, yeah. but let's yeah. all assume them yeah. as, a, as a given. But um, the difference between a planter and a revitalizer, um, if any? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there's a huge difference. I think for, for one, there's a, perhaps a, it comes down to patience, you know, to, uh, does this person have patience or is he going to become quickly impatient with the people he's already got? If you're sending him to an existing structure, an existing form uh, with a group of people, he's got to have the ability to to transition that over time slowly and very deliberately, but at the same time not lose his sight on in the evangelism, discipling of the people out with that group. And so uh, I think part of that is more it's personality type. Plant, a successful planters tend to have a much more pronounced gift of evangelism yep. than um, what I would say would be the more pastoral revitalizing type. I'm not yep. saying that both shouldn't be qualified pastors. Right. Let's be clear that they right. you shouldn't plant or revitalize unless you were qualified, elder qualified, yep. etc. But there does seem to be in certain individuals, personality types, you say, who've got a 
very strong evangelistic gift, yeah. very, uh, everybody uses the, the phrase entrepreneurial. It's not a biblical concept. Right. But these guys do see, planters do seem much more self-starting. Yeah, self-starters, um, go out there, they're yeah. willing to fail. Tim, calls, Tim Keller calls them agile learners. Right. That means they come across something and then they're like, oh, they make the switch. Whereas the planting, re, uh, the revitalizing guys seem, um, seem much more reserved, yeah. calmer, not tend to rush into the quick decisions that the planting type guys yeah. uh, make. So seem much more um, pastorally inclined towards people. Yeah. Than these guys who were go-getters, always thinking, strategizing. I, I would count myself one of those guys, yep. and my co-pastor Andy as a more of a pastoral, as a pastoral yeah. guy. We both have the same they, those are the, qualifications. Kind of the, that's the other lesson that I would say. Can maybe wrap up with this one is that um, the team is really important. Yeah, you know, so you send out church plant teams, and and there's got to be different personalities. Like foreign concepts yeah. to, to us. So, really. So we're building teams. We're getting a church planter, but we're getting a women's ministry worker and a gospel worker, and that they, they complement each other. And so when we send out a fully funded, full-time church planting team on site, we are building a team that really complements the, the characters and the personalities and the, and the skill set within that group. And the other lesson I've learned is that I really thought when we went into this that we were going to go to Bible colleges and seminaries and recruit trained, qualified pastors, church planners. But the reality is our, our strongest applicants have been those who've had no formal training yeah. or ministry experience, but have got a heart for the work and are willing to be taught and trained. And so come over here, spend two years with us, be trained up, and then they become the best guys. Yeah. And I think up. this is, we're going to end now, obviously, but I think this is a podcast for another time. Somebody should take a note of this, but um, that we need to think about why are our current theological yeah. systems and institutions, yep. why are they failing to produce um, a generation of men and women to come in and minister to council estates and housing schemes? Yep. Yep. I don't think good. the problem is necessarily institutions. So them, but it's just not, it's not hitting, it's, it's yeah. missing. Again, it's a blind spot. Cool. Thanks, bud. Good stuff. Enjoyed it. <laughs>